Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the Peckville Assembly of God podcast. We're so glad you're here. Now, welcome Pastor Terry Drost with today's message. Matthew chapter 2. I want to look at uh, the title of this message is The Worship of the Wise Men. The Worship. How many know we're created to worship God? In spirit and in truth. Amen? Amen. Worship. Worship the Lord and love Him only. Serve Him only, David said. And so uh, I'm going to give you, if you don't have your Bible, don't stress over it. we got a big Bible. We'll put it on the screen for you in just a moment. Matthew chapter 2. You know, a lot of times when we look at the Christmas story, we look at Luke's gospel, which is awesome. When I was a kid growing up, my father, uh, before we ever opened any presents uh, back in the day, um, he would open up the Word of God, and, and we'd be all there at the tree, you know, in our, in our PJs, you know. And uh, Dad would read the, uh, the story of the Christ child, you know, Christmas story in Luke chapter 2. Great account. But in Matthew chapter 2, uh, he gives us a little bit more uh, in-depth insight. And I want to share that with you today. The wise men came seeking the Lord. So let's look at it, Matthew 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king... Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Notice they didn't come to Bethlehem, they came to Jerusalem. Saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes and the people together, so that's like the pastors, the church leaders, all these uh, officials, government officials, Herod uh, the king at that time of Jerusalem gathered them all together, brought them together for a big powwow. Uh, It says he inquired of them where Christ was to be born. He wanted to know. So they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet." But you, Bethlehem, in the land of uh, Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Verse 7, Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go search carefully for the young child. Notice young child. So I'm going I'm to probably bust some uh, bubbles here today about the nativity scene, but it's okay, all right? Is that okay? All right, so I'm just going to give you the facts and then you deal with it. Uh, and, when, <laughs> and when you have found him, uh, don't get all religious on me here now. Uh, when you have found him, bring back word to me. This is Herod now speaking, watch this. That I may come and worship him also. How many of you know Herod didn't want to come and worship Jesus, really? Oh, yeah, he wanted to murder him. He didn't want to worship. He wanted to murder. He had hatred. He was like a messenger sent from Satan. Okay? He was a bad guy. We'll talk about him in just a minute. When they heard the king, when they heard the king, they departed. This is the wise men now. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. Verse 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him 
of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. There's three things I want to talk to you about worship today that are scriptural examples of how we should live our life in the presence of the King. But before we do that, would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, today as we stand here in your house with the Word of God, the Book of God open, Lord God, may, may it be as a radiant light illuminated to our spirit on how we should approach the presence of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And help us to look at the lives of the wise men, the magi, as a divine example of how you want your people to worship you in spirit and in truth. We thank you for the blessing of your word and the anointing and the ministry to follow. In Jesus' name, all God's people said. If you're taking notes today, there's three things that we take from this text. Number one, they came expecting They expected in their worship. They expected in their worship. Let's look at the the scripture. Uh, Well, let me just go ahead and say this. The Magi, how many of you know the Magi uh, comes from the root word magos, which was where we get our word magic from? How many of you knew that? Yeah, so they were not from Jerusalem. They were not Jews. They actually were Persians. They were from the Far East, okay? Persian descent. Uh, we could talk about the, uh, uh, these are brilliant, brilliant men. They were into sorcery. Uh, don't hold it against them because, listen, folks, when those people did not know God in those days, and just like people in our world today, seven and a half billion people and growing on planet Earth, not everyone knows God. But I want to say this to somebody here today. We are all born with something innate in us that desires the supernatural. And Satan has always had copycats. He's always had counterfeits. So magi, magos, we get our word magic or magician from. You know, a modern day would be, uh, I'm I'm just saying a magician that we would know would be like a David Copperfield Houdini that was from this area. They have the Houdini Museum down there, whatever, in Scranton. Um, So they came from the east. Watch this. They were looking for thousands of years for this Messiah. How many of you know that's the, that's the Bible? Thousands of years. And it actually had been prophesied by prophets that Christ would come. Now we know that, but I want to show you in a couple different passages where, uh, actually Daniel, if you get that verse in Daniel, let's put that up. Daniel prophesied, watch this. He said, then the king commanded the magicians, so there's that group again, where are they at? What culture are they under? What tyranny are they under? Anybody? Medo-Persian. If you spent a couple of years ago, we spent like a whole summer in the book of Daniel alone. Chapter and verse going through the Bible. Bible study. If you weren't here, you wouldn't know that. But I call the series Unshakable because it was a modern uh, standing strong when things go wrong. I actually made a book off that. But if you, if you were here, you understand we talked about going through the life of Daniel together. Are you hearing what I'm saying? They were under captivity, watch this, of Babylon, okay, Persia. They were under Persian tyranny, the children of God. And Daniel prophesied that a Messiah was coming. Look at it with me. Uh, and it says that the man brought them, he brought them, the king brought them together, and uh, he summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and in my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Okay? So who interpreted the dream? 
Let me say this. Nobody of Persian descent could interpret the king's dream but one Jewish boy named Daniel. Can you say amen? How about the three uh, men in the furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? And then there was a fourth man in the fire, and they never even got singed. Can you say amen? Are you still following what I'm saying? So the Jewish people have been, been under great tyranny captivity of the Medo-Persian Empire. For those of you, just giving you a little bit of background here. But these wise men, these magi, sorcerers, magicians, Chaldeans, they came seeking the Christ child. Amen? By the way, he wasn't a baby at that point. He was a young child. And it wasn't a manger, it was a house. Oh, some of you, I got some eyebrows on that one. I don't want to burst any bubbles, but they weren't there. I know they're in your nativity set. You can keep them there like they are mine on my fireplace. Okay? By the time they got word, listen, they got word that Jesus was coming. What happened? That the Messiah was coming. It took them over a thousand mile journey, which would have taken, folks, listen, realistically, nine to 18 months to travel that long by the way, here's another myth we're going to bust. They didn't come on camels. They came on Persian horses, the most finest, expensive horses in the world. These were not socially unaccepted men. They were actually the scholars, the intelligentsia of the day. Okay? Everybody went to them to find out what the answers were. So they were wise men. Okay? There was a reason they were wise men, not wise guys, wise men. Okay? All right. When you preach in this area, you have to say that. It says a little sidebar, okay? <laughs> so, anyway. So they came from the east. Um, they were fortune tellers. And again, you know, if you're in places today where they don't believe in God or they don't know of God, like Africa will be there in a couple weeks, um, they have witch doctors on every corner because there's a desire for the supernatural. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And they don't know God. They don't know Christ. They don't have a revelation, a transformation of the, of the spirit, a metamorphosis, as it talks about in Romans 1 and 2. Are you still with me? And so I want to say this to you. Balaam, how many of you know who Balaam is? So Balaam actually was anti-God. Balaam was, was uh, sought out by the king of Moab, Old Testament. Now I'm going to show you the very first prophecy of the star. Are you ready? I never saw this before. Balaam, who was hired to speak a curse, that's what sorcerers do that's what these people in incantations do they cast spells are you hearing what i'm saying that's what they do he went he wanted to speak the king of moab hired him to speak a curse against god's people old testament guess what couldn't do it you know why god says i'll bless those who bless you come on somebody and i'll curse those who curse you can you say praise god that's why we should all that's it go ahead if you're going to clap don't patty cake give god some praise Balaam, listen, was the very first prophecy in the Old Testament of the star. We talk about the star that, that led the wise men to the manger. So we're going way back here a couple thousand years before this even happened. Watch this. Balaam, and here's the scripture, Numbers 24, 17. He says, I see, Numbers 24, 17, I see him. Who is him? Jesus. But not now, look on the screen. Not now, in other words, prophetic. In the future, I see him. This is a wicked man. He is actually the father of sorcery. He says, I, but not near, not near, a star shall come out of Jacob. Who is Jacob? Israel. 
Am I going too deep for you? You still with me? Okay. All right. Uh, the star shall come out of Jacob. The scepter shall rise out of Israel. Amen. God's chosen people. The apple of God's eye. Amen. And we're grafted in through Jesus. So let me just give you a little, couple more quick examples about uh, Persian tyranny. Um, Babylonians, Babylon. Uh, Queen Esther. Remember Queen Esther? Married to the king. Uh, it was God who chose Mordecai and Esther to spare God's people from complete extinction. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because they were dialed in to God, okay? And so um, Daniel, again, we talked about Daniel uh, and the prophecies. By the way, Daniel prophesied, let me say this. Daniel prophesied, watch this, that Jesus would come, if you know your Bibles, in the year 483. How many of you know I'm telling the truth right there? I go too deep for you? Want me to give you three keys to a stress, uh, stressless life or something like that? Every day's a Friday. Can you handle it? It's not a fluff message. This is Brussels sprouts. You know what Brussels sprouts are? They're good for you. Daniel, watch this. Daniel, this is, this is what's so awesome about the Bible, folks. It's so accurate. It's way more accurate than tomorrow morning's New York Times. Or CNN or whatever kind of devil vision you're, you're plugged into these days that lead you to negativity and a, and a sarcastic, mocking culture that we live in. Come on, somebody. Daniel said Jesus will come. The Messiah will come in the year 483. Was, did Jesus come in uh, 483? No, he actually came in the year 453. Say, so, well, what's the discrepancy? 30 years. Watch this. There's no discrepancy because if you knew Jewish law... Back then, you weren't allowed to start your ministry until you were age 30. David, age 30. Joseph, age 30. Daniel, age 30. Jesus, age 30. Can you say praise God? So expected worship. Amen. Amen. So I just, and that's why I just want to say to you, expect worship. Expect when you come here. Listen, folks, if they sojourned for a thousand miles... Equestrian. Think about this. Persian horses with treasure, and it was a posse. It was bodyguards around them. It wasn't just three guys, okay? If they would come and endure all of the weather and all of the adversity to get to this little town of Bethlehem to worship Christ the King, don't you think that you ought to expect great things to happen when you come here on Sunday morning into the presence of God? If you believe that, why don't you clap your hands and let God know you mean business with Him. Praise God. It's expecting great things. I'm expecting something to happen in the presence of the Lord. It's not just I check the God box. I hate that word. I believe it's a demonic term. It's not just I'm Baptist, I'm Methodist, I'm Assembly of God, and this is what I do for an hour and a half. No, I'm expecting. You ought to hit like Thursday and say, man, you know what? It's just a couple more days before I get a chance to come corporately into the presence of God. I know you have the presence of God. I have the presence of God. But there's something specific and dynamic that happens when you get into a corporate setting of worship, and that's why hell will fight you so hard to be here consistently. He'll fight you through the God of sports. He'll fight you through the God of society. He'll fight you through the God of culture. And he'll say, well, our kids are involved in this sport, and our kids are involved in soccer, and our kids are involved in this activity. The school has this, and everybody has demands on you. Let me tell you something, folks. Until you put God first in your life, nothing else will work. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all of these things will be added unto your life. <laughs> so it's expecting 
I'm expecting great things to happen. I don't have it all figured out. Well, you know, I come in there and worship and, uh, you know, they do a few songs and then I just hope I get there in time for the message. You've missed the whole point. The message, I know you like a message. A message is great. I like good messages too. But the message is just icing on the cake. The cake is the worship. The cake is the presence. The cake is the tangible, spontaneous moving of the Holy Spirit. The presence of the Lord. If you believe that, why don't you clap your hands and let God know that you mean business when it comes to His presence. Oh, hallelujah. It's worshiping the Lord in spirit and in truth. Amen? We ought to come expecting. If they went that far, don't you think that you could drive a couple miles? Instead of letting everything else be important to you. Well, it doesn't matter. I'm saying We're not talking about your salvation. We're talking about worship, the reason we're created. Amen? Amen? Expected. They expected it. Here's the next thing I see about them in their worship. There's three points here. It's very simple. They were also expressive in their worship. They were demonstrative. Look at, look at the text, Matthew 2 and verse 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. <laughs> it doesn't just say joy. It says exceedingly great joy. What brings you joy? Let me ask you, what brings you joy? Amen. What else? What would make you happy? Grandchildren. Thank you. Awesome. What's that? Somebody's grandson, of course. Watching kids worship. Amen. Who said diamonds? My wife is raising her hand down there. And when, listen to this, listen, listen, exceeding great joy. And so it wasn't just joy. Listen, if somebody, okay, if somebody wins the lottery, how many know they're full of joy? Their happiness is really what it is. Somebody's sports team wins the, right, World Series. It gives us joy, right? Not, I'm going to say this wrong. Don't be overly spiritual on me now, okay? It's okay, right? Things give us joy. Amen? You got an unexpected check in the mail. It just saves so much on your car insurance, okay? <laughs> 15% or whatever. But don't you think, folks, if these men had joy, exceedingly great joy, that we should have joy too. Again, they're not socially unaccepted. They're the upper echelon of society. These are, these are serious people. They're very accomplished. And, and, and listen, they literally waited until the planets lined up before they made their move. And the star appeared because they were basing everything on prophecies. So there's a lot going on in this story. A lot more than, you know, grandma got ran over by a reindeer or whatever you guys sing. I don't know. We were singing those crazy songs the other night at the party. I've never la- I don't think I laughed that hard in years. I had such a good time. Praise God. Wasn't that fun? What a great time. And so, you know, they, they, were, they were socially accepted. They were wealthy, intelligentsia of the day. But watch this. When they walked into that house, here's the word. Everybody, look this way. It's a very peculiar word, exceeding great joy. If you're looking up in the original as I did this week, this is what it means. It means to... In our setting, it would be like to take a very expensive, like a vase, and to literally like smash it up to the floor where it goes all over the place. 
to, watch this, like a building imploding. You ever see a building implode from the inside and the thing just crumbles? It means to, here's what it means in our vernacular, to collapse in the presence of a toddler. Collapse. I have six grandkids. When I walk in the room, I don't fall on the floor. Unless they're playing with the choo-choo going around the, the Christmas tree. You know, last week we put our train together. Somebody gave us a beautiful train for kids, like a little, you know, around the tree. And, uh, and our kids, the grandkids are just fascinated. They never saw one of those things. Woo, woo, you know, and, and all that. And so they all wanted to, like, knock it off the track. <laughs> and Carolyn, you know, Grayson, my oldest granddaughter, she, like, literally put her fingers on the track. And, and Grayson, or uh, Carolyn, my daughter-in-law, said, don't do that. It'll cut your fingers off. And I'm like, you lied to her. <laughs> Well, we're just trying to get them to behave. I mean, I don't understand all this stuff. But I mean, but listen, sometimes I lay on the floor and play with the kids. There's nothing wrong with that. But these men, in the presence of the king of kings, when they came after a thousand miles, they unmounted from those Persian horses and they got into his presence and they literally fell down and worshiped him. You know what it tells me? It tells me that for you and for me and for all of us, that sometimes we just need to let ourselves go in the presence of God. Can you say praise God? Oh, come on, church. Come on. We ought to let ourselves go. We ought to shout a little bit. We ought to dance a little bit. Come on. We ought to sing a little louder. We ought to get our mouth open and our gate open. We ought to lift our hands and praise God in the presence of the Lord. It's not a Pentecostal thing. It's not a charismatic thing. It's not a Catholic Baptist thing. It's a God thing. In fact, in fact, the scriptures again and again and again tell us to do these things. Well, I wasn't raised that way. It doesn't have anything to do with the way you were raised. And don't try to relegate God into some little religious Sunday morning box. He's way bigger than that. Let me just share a couple with you here today. This is, again, this isn't Pentecostal care. This is, the, this is a scriptural worship description. Here it is, Psalm 47. Oh, clap your hands, all ye people, and shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Can you say praise God? Praise God. Psalm 95.1. Oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Psalm 95.6. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord God, our Maker. That's what the wise men were doing. They were broken. They were shattered. They were poured out. They didn't care what anybody thought about them. They spent thousands of years seeking Him. And when the star appeared and the prophecies were fulfilled and the planets had lined up at a certain point in history, God said, I'm sending my son as a babe to enter, to leave the portals of heaven to enter the earth of humanity. How could we do anything but worship Him? Tell me, how could we do anything but worship Him? This is in your Bible. Psalm 134 and 2. Lift up your hands in church. Does it say that? Yeah. What's the sanctuary? The house of God. Lift up your hands in church. Amen? 
That's it, exactly, Mark. And bless the Lord. Amen. I will bless the Lord. I will bless Him. I will come into His presence with thanksgiving and praise and gratitude. I will lift my hands in the sanctuary. Those are the words of David. Greatest worshiper that ever lived, by the way. Only one that God said, now that's a guy after my own heart. It's not some guy sitting there saying, well, it's not my kind of music. I'm not, I'll tell you what, I'm going to come in late after the music starts. I hope I can hear a message. You missed the whole point. You missed the reason you're supposed to be here. Not according to me, according to this book. The whole point is worship. It's corporate worship. This is not discipleship. This is worship. This is not fellowship. This is worship. This is not evangelism. It's worship. Now, we may have shades of that in there, and there's nothing wrong with that, but the ultimate point that we've gathered here is not our horizontal focus, it's our vertical focus. I will look unto the hills where my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Can you say praise God? Oh, come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. Give God some hilarious praise. Oh, hallelujah. What be to God? we would give him the worship that he's worthy of. What do you offer a king who has everything? Our heart. Our heart. I I get it. We don't all come from the same backgrounds. I dated a girl in school for a little while, and I used to go to her church on Saturday nights. I was a young kid. Bonnie, Steve, I was like, I don't know, 15, 16, John, I was like, and I remember going with her parents on Saturday night mass. And uh, it was different for me. And I'm not saying that critically. It was just, it was a different experience. And I still remember, it was her mother, her father, her sister, her and me in her father's 1980 Ford Granada <laughs> with a Tonow roof. I may remember that car. Six-cylinder automatic on the dash. AM and FM radio. Pleather seats. And I remember her literally like reading me the riot act going to church. Like I was getting the rundown of the rules. How many of you ever been to a place like that? So I'm going to tell you what the rules are. And it's okay. I want to know. Trust me. I want to know. I don't want to do something stupid. You know, I don't know what. I don't, I've never been there. Is it going to be a forced baptism? I don't know. I, you know, I'm just coming in there. I'm just, I'm just a visiting Pentecostal. Come on, somebody. How many know we serve a big God? So, yeah. So I come in and she's telling me on the way. Now, listen. She goes, I'm going to tell you a couple things about church. It's different than your church. I'm like, okay, okay. I'm all kinds of nervous now. I was already nervous. Now I'm getting a list of the Ten Commandments, amen? <laughs> Thou shalt not. She goes, whatever you do when you come in there. Well, first of all, we're not going to be late for church. We're going to be early. Okay, now. I said, good. She goes, no, let me tell you why we come there early. So we don't have to sit in the front. <laughs> she literally said that to me. We, don't, we come early so we can sit in the back. And I'm like, man, we come early so we can sit in the front. Amen. Why do you sit in the back? Well, it's closer to the door. We got to get this over with. Oh, it's okay. You'll see what I mean. It's packed. Back then it was packed. How many of you understand what I mean? Churches were packed back then. Saturday night mass, forget it. It was like standing room only back in the day. And so I, I was like, okay, okay, okay. So I was there extra early that day. And then it was like, the next thing was, whatever you do, don't take your coat off. And I was like, okay, check. Don't take my coat off. And I said, man, it must be cold in there. <laughs> she said, we just keep our coats on. And whatever you do, don't hold my hand and don't put your arm around me. It's like, okay, 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 I promise I won't. I'm like, I wasn't even thinking about that. 
And I'll never forget. I mean, can I just tell you, I'll never forget the night I went to that church. And the pastor, he was very respected, the priest, and he wasn't there that night. And there was a young priest there. Watch this. This is my first experience in another faith at that time. Since then, I've been in a lot of different kind of churches. Uh, but we came in. We sat near the back. She said, just whatever I do, just do what I do. Okay? It's like monkey see, monkey do. Okay? If I stand, you stand. If I kneel, you kneel. It's like, okay, okay, okay. I'm just so afraid, you know. So I was trying to get my head around. It's all brand new to me. So we got in there. We're sitting somewhere near the back. The place is packed. And the, father, the priest who was normally there, he was up in years, he wasn't there that night. And there was a young priest right here in Oliphant. I'll never forget it. It's like 1980. And it's a young priest, and he's up here on what they would call the altar. You know, you're with me, right? And he came out from behind the thing. I'll never forget it. This is his opening statement. He came right down here where the people are. Whoo, that raised some eyebrows. Back then... This is what he said to me. Listen, he said, how many of you here tonight have ever been to a Protestant church? And I was like, <laughs> she's like, put your arm down. I was doing the Pentecostal wave, amen? And there was like, I was like, the, there was maybe like, the, I mean, there's hundreds of people in this thing. There were probably like two other people in the whole room that got their hand like, kind of half raised like this. Like, I don't want anybody to think I'm crazy. I don't want to get kicked out. I don't want to be excommunicated, but I'm just going to go ahead and, and do it anyway. This young priest, I'll never forget it, folks. I'm telling you the truth. He said this. He goes, let me tell you something. Those of you that raised your hand, he said, I'm proud of you. So let me tell you something. We can learn a lot from them. Wow. What out-of-the-box thinking that is. How many believe you can learn from somebody even if you don't agree with all of their ways? I do. Are you kidding me? Amen? So it's, you know, it's different, the style. And worship is not just music, but the style is different. I understand. Some people came up with pipe organs. I love that. There's a time for that. I'm not saying it's wrong. We don't do pipe organ music here because when we were building a church, we did a little survey and found out that nobody's listening to the pipe organs during the week. <laughs> Headline news. I don't remember seeing the pipe organ station on the Sirius radio, Okay. So anyway, it's more like garage band rock or something like that. But it's more than music. Worship is our heart toward God. And they came into his presence. And they fell down. Why don't you just turn to the person next to you and say, why don't you just let yourself go once in a while? I don't mean in that way, okay? <laughs> I'm talking about in, in worship. Amen? Because what happens is, listen, if I come into church and I come into a corporate setting and I'm so worried what everybody thinks about me, how many know I'm going to be distracted from pleasing the Lord? Really? We've got to quit bowing to the idols of others' opinions about us and get freed up. We've got to shake the religion off a little bit. Come on, folks. We've got to come in and worship Him in spirit and in truth. Wise men still seek Him. They came and bowed down before the child in the house and worshipped him. Expressive, demonstrative worship. Can you imagine if you spent your entire life and thousands of years before you for generation, generation, generation seeking this Messiah and now you're face to face looking at him. 
And he's a toddler. He's a little guy. Worship. It's just being enamored in the moment. Here's the last way they worship him. They worshiped him extravagantly. Just look at the text. The Bible said that they brought great gifts from a long ways away. And you know, when you travel, how many of you, you, when you travel, you take extra money with you, right? Take something, right? American Express or they used to have traveler's checks or something like that. I don't know. I never had them, but my grandmother told me about them. Um, good old cash. I mean, something, right? A debit card. I hope you got something. You're going on a trip. How many know? That journey, think about this now, just do the math with me. Nine months to get there, nine months back, that's 18 months worth of treasury plus the gifts they brought to him. Traveling expenses, right? They brought gifts of what? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Here's what they represent if you're taking notes. I hope you take notes because that's how you retain things better. Gold represents God's royalty. Frankincense represent his divinity. Frank incense, prayer, intercession, worship, offering up to God. His divinity, are you with me? Watch this. Myrrh represent his humanity. Christ was anointed even before the cross. You remember when Mary took the, the woman, washed his feet with her hair? She didn't care what everybody thought about her. And she took that alabaster box and broke it. It was a year, listen, a year's worth of wages. She poured out over the head of Christ. And it dripped over his body. It saturated him. And what did the religious people do? What did the tightwads do? You know any cheapskates? Yeah. That's what they said, right, Mark? They, they said, Paul, what a waste this was! What a waste! to take a year's salary, a year's worth of a man's hard-earned wages, and to pour it out on his head. What a waste. That should have been sold and given to the poor. How much do you love God? Let me ask you a question. Do you bring your best when you come to worship Him? They did. You know, Persia, look at folks, they're rich. The three highest resources in their rich in is gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Lavished it upon him. Lavished it. And, and, and again, in my mind, I'm just going to say this. I believe that when they got into his presence, when, when, when they got there, that, you know, they had people with them. They had guards that had to protect the treasury, it says in the King James in the original. That as they knelt down and fell before him, that it, I'm just saying, in my mind, he, he said, open up the whole treasury. Give all of it to him. All of it. And the guy said, sir, but, but, but sir, we need this to get back up. Shut up. Give it all to him. Do you give God your best? Your absolute best. Your time. Time is actually a way more valuable resource than, than treasure. How many of you know that? You can always make more money. You cannot make more time. But do, or 
I just say, I have a confession to make to you today. I've been distracted before in times when I should be worshiping. You ever been there? How about, how about this? How about in your devotional life? Do you always bring God your best? I'm talking about your daily worship to God. Your time in prayer and the Word. Certainly we have a prayer life. I'm assuming that. Or do you get distracted? You ever been distracted? Worship is a, is a reminder to bring our absolute best to God. Extravagant worship. By the way, I just want to say this to you in the area of giving. Why do you think hell fights that? So Judas is actually was the person that made that statement, if you know your Bible, that said, what a waste that was. Judas the treasurer, right? Held the money box. Judas who sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. And it was so guilt-ridden, the Bible said that the spirit of Satan entered him that he literally took his own life. If you want to go to a higher level in faith, I would challenge you to go to a higher level in giving. And I also would challenge you this. Show me one example, and I'm closing. Show me one example where people worship and didn't give in the Bible. You know why? You can't do it. You can't do it. Everywhere they worship, they gave. When a per- Listen, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. D- don't get nervous. We already received an offering. <laughs> That's exactly my point. You see how that works? If you love God, you can't help but want to bless. If you love God, you can't help but feed half a Lackawanna County on a Friday here. Amen, Tom? It's a blessing. It's a blessing. I'm going to ask our worship team to come back and just take a few more moments and worship the Lord today. Expecting God to do great things. Expecting something from His presence. Expressing our love to God. Amen? You know, I love my wife, and so I express it. Amen? I asked what people want for Christmas, and I heard her say diamonds, and I said, shoot, I already did my Christmas shopping is over. Amen? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just teasing. <laughs> Praise God. Amen. But it blows my mind, folks. 36 months of financial aid with them, and I was just completely exhausted in one shot. Because when you get into the presence of the Lord, you can't help but change. If you're in the presence of the Lord. I'll tell you what was great about the 90s and the revival of the 90s and into the 2000s. In Brownsville, in Pensacola, it was really a revival of worship. And with worship, when people really engage, listen, in the presence of God, people get saved. You found this to be true? It's called worship evangelism. Like, there were over a million people that got saved in that little town in Brownsville, Florida. I don't know if the panhandle down there by Alabama. I had been there five times in my life. The worship leader became a very good friend of mine. But the thing I loved about it was people were getting so freed up in worship. Amen? And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. Amen? Do you give God your best? Here's the last thing. Here's the last thing. The Bible says in that last verse, it says that 
that God came to them in a dream. You ever have God speak to you in a dream? Anybody ever have God speak to you in a dream? I heard a preacher the other day saying that I had a dream that I was in a car with my wife driving down the road, and he said there was a guy that was being beat up by a gang of people. And he said, I pulled, I said, stop the car, stop the car. And he said, I told her, call 911. And he said, I ran in my dream, and I shouted at these guys, and they all took off. And he said, the guy that had been beaten up, blood pouring out, he said he had a mask on. This is in a, a man's dream, and he said, a great man of God, Robert Morris, he said, and in my dream, I held him, and I pulled his mask back, and it was my best friend. And he said, I called him up on the phone the next day and told him about that dream. And he said, God shows me that you're under a great attack of the enemy. And he said, the man said, Pastor, that's exactly what's going on. He's going through an unbelievable time in his marriage. And he said, because God spoke to him directly, he was able to help as part of the restoration process of a family. And he said, praise God. Here's the, here's the thing, and I close this. Here's the thing. These men, until they were in the presence of God, they had to go to everybody else for their answers. It's fascinating to me. Fascinating to me, John. Jessica, it's fascinating. They had to go to everybody else and say, tell me, what does this mean? Tell me, what does that mean? Uh, let's, get the, let's get the prophecy of Micah 5.2. Uh, tell me, tell me. What, spent their whole life, watch this, one moment in the presence of God and God spoke directly to them. Can I tell you something, folks? If, you, if you're in the presence of God regularly, not just in church, shut the phone off and you're in the presence of the Lord on a daily basis and you're spending time with the Lord and in His Word, God will speak directly to you too. Just like Joe, who was in that last service, said when God spoke to me about that couple in that airport, and that man was delivered from alcohol. Thank God. Do you bring God your best? So when you worship the Lord, come to God expecting great things. Amen? Expecting to leave differently. You know, say, man, I, I, you know, Pastor, I, I'm dealing with stuff in my life. I don't know what it is for everybody here, people watching at home. It could be your marriage is on the rocks. It could be your kids are, you know, I, trust me, we deal with it all the time here, folks. You would not believe the calls we get in, in a day. I got a text message this morning coming out here, 10 minutes to 9. So-and-so just slipped into eternity right here in Wayne Memorial Hospital, same place my wife works. God. I just don't know. This life is so short. Our whole purpose, the reason we're created is to worship God. It's the whole, that's the chief. Listen, Westminster Abbey in the 13th century said this. They said, the chief end of man is to worship the Lord and to enjoy his presence forever. Amen? So I'm going to ask you this morning, listen, intentionally, I'm not going to ask you to grab, here's what happens in a service like this. It's 20 after, whatever. We'll start saying, you know, I'm going to get my Bible. I'm going to get my code. I'm going to get my purse. I'm going to get ready to leave. This is not time to do that right now, okay? This is not time to do that. Let's respond to this message and worship the Lord, expecting things to change when we walk out that door, expecting healing to come in your body when you enter the presence of the Lord, expecting your lost family members to be saved, Expecting God to show up in your marriage, in your health, in your finances. Whatever it is for you, expecting God and expressing our love for God.
giving to him of our time, our talents, our treasures. Extravagant. Amen. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed that message. And if you did, take a photo of you listening and tag us on your social. Thanks again for joining us. We love you. God loves you. And may God's richest blessing be yours.